What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Charging Buffalo and the Hockey Podcast Network. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, oh boy, quite a weekend in Sabres hockey. As the Sabres split, they're back-to-back, picking up a win against Minnesota on Friday before losing against the Penguins on Saturday. Matt Savoy made his NHL debut on Friday, but if you blinked at any point during the game, you probably wouldn't even notice that he played considering he only logged 355 of ice time. Devin Levi had a great game on Friday, though, making 33 saves in the win. J.J. Paterka and Jeff Skinner continued their strong starts to the season as both picked up multi-point games with a goal and an assist, respectively. As has been the case for several wins this season, it really didn't feel like a win that the Sabres earned to a very significant degree with their performance. But boy, oh boy, if we want to talk about real disasters, let's talk about Saturday. Saturday against the Penguins was Ryan Johnson's turn to inexplicably play less than he should have. The Sabres went 11 forwards and seven defensemen with Johnson playing just 11 minutes and 18 seconds of ice time, a move that was all the more puzzling because he's been pretty clearly the Sabres' third best defenseman throughout the entirety of his call-up. Not to mention, after only getting six minutes of ice time on Friday, Peyton Krebs was scratched for Victor Olofsson on Saturday. Not that Krebs has had the best season or has been lighting the world on fire or anything like that, especially as of late, but his deployment and his usage have been pretty strange this year. I think we can agree to say the least. The Sabres ended up losing this one again, four to nothing with UPL picking up the loss, but the loss surely did not fall on goaltending, even though he let in a softer second goal in this one. So with all that being said, the focus of today's episode is not going to be about the X's and O's or the analytics of this weekend's games. It's going to be focused on Don Granado's lineup optimization and deployment decisions. But before we get into that discussion, though, Taylor, give me an overview of your thoughts on the weekend's games. Trash. Well said. Um, Thanks, everybody, th- for tuning in. <laughs> I think when you're in the position the Sabres are, where they're really in the thick of the middle of the conference, like a uh, borderline playoff team they're right around 500 that makes every game matter so much in terms of how you feel about the season especially this early in the season but if they're really good one game wouldn't matter much and if they're really bad like they more normally have been for the past decade then be like oh whatever it's just another game but it, it kind of changes how I feel every every game it just feels like is a wild change in mood and emotion and I gotta say I think they were they played poorly in both of these games I know they won Friday but I think they won because of Levi and it's nice to get bailed out by a goalie for a change but the wild were the better team and the wild are not that good the wild are very average so to, to get kind of outplayed the way the Sabres did that was discouraging um the other hand saturday the worst game they've played in i don't know how long probably this whole maybe since opening night uh which is what a total disaster that was a total embarrassment and i I don't know it's a it's not it wasn't just getting goalied because they got significantly outplayed but it's it's weird that of all the off-season goalies that we talked about is the Sabres having potential to sign. They all stayed with their teams. Not going great for most of them. Tristan Jari, though, that contract does not look stupid right now. The five-year deal they gave him. He's a 920 save percentage after last night. And he, yeah, he was a brick wall against the Sabres. But I don't know, even if he played just average, it would have made a difference because this, it was just a terrible effort by the Sabres. Well, and to get into the meat of our discussion here, I think it's important to note that not only are we going to be talking about Don Granado, but we also have to talk about Kevin Adams with regard to this conversation as well, because clearly, as we have been saying throughout the summer, 
throughout the preseason and throughout the start of the regular season, there are some serious questions about how much, or I should say uh, how little the Sabres did this off season in terms of bringing in some external resources here. You bring in Johnson and Clifton, who maybe early on, there's a little bit of optimism about, obviously I think the rationale was there for both of them. There's they've had their moments, a, a couple of nice moments. I feel like I've tried to, you know, keep an eye on them during the games and point out when they make a nice play here or there. But man, oh, man, it feels like the wheels are are coming off, especially in the case of Johnson there. And again, making it all the more frustrating that Ryan Johnson played less than him, the least of any defenseman in the yeah. loss to the Penguins. So before we get into that, though, Taylor, I think we got to talk about Matt Savoy here. I want to preface by saying I have no problem with the fact that they sent him back to the WHL. I think that it's going to be fine for his development path. I, I don't think that it hurts him in any way. But what I don't understand is playing him less than four minutes in this game. You know, when we're talking about a lot of the issues with the lineup, and I think it's particularly the case even with a guy like Krebs, where we're talking about how the deployment decisions, the ice time, all of those things, who the line mates that you're playing with, it all kind of leads to how you set a guy up for success. And it really felt like Savoy didn't even get an opportunity here. I mean, he played very little, like we said, less than four minutes in this game. And it's not like when he was out on the ice, he was a game breaker or anything like that. But you got to give these guys a chance to get into a rhythm. This is his first NHL game. He's a kid still like he is a very, very young player here and you need to let him get his legs under him. And the fact that he was skating on a line with Tage and Skinner at practice, and then you end up just completely burying him, not even playing him in the third period at all, not giving him an opportunity to get in a rhythm and, and get a feel for the game out there. It just is. It's very confusing to me. And I think, again, I'm fine with them sending him back to the WHL, but I don't like the circumstances in which they're doing this. Like it felt like he should have gotten a few games had gotten, you know, maybe you give him like 12 minutes a night. You're not giving him anything crazy. You're giving him probably mostly offensive zone face-offs and you're putting him with guys that either he'll be able to like play well with in terms of like offensive creativity, like goal scorers, like Tager Skinner, or maybe you put him with somebody that can help elevate him so that there's like a little bit less of defensive responsibility there, but they really didn't give him any opportunities. And after less than four minutes, they're sending him there. It just felt like, what was the point of even playing him in the first place? For one, why not give him a proper look and actually see what you have there? Give him an opportunity to make some mistakes. I mean, these kids who are these high skill players, they need to have the chance to go out there and make a mistake. That's how they're going to learn from it in the moment, but it's also how they're going to figure out what they have the capability of being able to do. And they didn't give Savoy that opportunity at all. And so it's really frustrating that you do have this piece that ultimately has the potential to be really important in the grand scheme of things and in the long-term plans here. And Again, you're not expecting him to step in right away and be some kind of impact guy. You weren't necessarily even expecting him to step in on the roster for the rest of the year. I think that it, it was probably pretty likely going into this that we knew that he was going to end up going back. But to not even really give him the opportunity to prove himself was as puzzling as it was frustrating. What are your thoughts on how they handled Savoy? Oh, it's very strange. I don't, I don't really get it at all. I think a lot of us trying to assume they were going to have him be a pro at the AHL NHL level until world juniors, if they can help it, which 
actually is kind of a long time away. It's more than six weeks away, or roughly six weeks away right now. But the last thing I would expect it is get him AHL time in those rehab games, get him up to the NHL, have like two practices, uh, and then play him for almost no time at all. None in the third period, if I'm not mistaken. And then yeah. just just send him down right after that. Like what what the hell happened? It's so it's, it's bizarre. And they didn't, you know, like to your point, you said that they they about playing him up the lineup. They played Benson up the lineup. Yeah. Maybe they thought Benson earned it more, but I don't. It, he's so he took Savoy ninth overall or whatever, and he's obviously had a really good year in juniors last year, and they were pretty happy with how he looked in training camp and and, and well, not training camp so much as the AHL when they were down there. I know he was dealing with an injury, but you know you're not going to give him a chance up the lineup. I, I don't understand what the point of this was. I thought when they played him like three four minutes, I thought that was already strange. But I thought, hey, he's up here practicing with professionals. He's getting a real taste of what this is like. But like, for what? For the length of a long weekend? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. just just very strange. Honestly, I, I don't get it at all. And I know they have a lot of forwards to deal with, and they they also had to add Samuelson back, and they went eleven seven on Saturday night. But I count me as confused about the Savoy thing. It's not well, like a huge disaster. It's just very strange. And I think the eleven seven thing brings up another point with regard to this. Like, why wouldn't you just keep him around for the weekend? You had a back-to-back here. Yeah, you knew that you were going to get Samuelson back, but I, I don't think we have to get into this part of the conversation quite yet because I think we have a few more things to talk about. But, like, we got to feel confident in sitting some of the veterans down. Like, you need to be – Granado needs to be able to sit Eric Johnson for a game. The conversation that we're going to have to yeah. have, people are already having, you're going to probably – if we want to be serious – you're going to probably have to have a conversation about sitting a pozo from time to time too. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to the point that we had talked about last episode where this regime has talked about guys earning it and they want to reward guys for their play. What has Eric Johnson really done that it was a better move or more important for the team? It would help the team more to run 11, seven, send Savoy back without even giving him really a look and playing Johnson and the rest of the D more than the guy that again has been your best defenseman aside from Darlene and power over this past week and a half. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was very strange to me. Johnson has to be on the list. Like you said, with the post of guys that said, I guess one thing is the penalty kill. They feel that he's important for maybe that. And you think that could be it, that that's why they're so reticent to sit him or it's because he's a veteran. Yeah, but my whole thought is like if your penalty kill it would supposedly fall apart because you sit down 35-year-old Eric Johnson, is it really that good of a penalty kill? And and to answer that question, Johnson obviously could have value like does have value on the penalty kill, don't get me wrong, but we're not talking about like taking Darlene off the top power play unit here. Right. Like, talking about removing a guy that at five on five is more of a detriment to you, or at least lately he has been more of a detriment to you than he has been a positive out there. So it it doesn't make a lot of sense to me in that regard. Also too, I I think going back to the forwards, we've been talking a lot about Yuri Kulik lately, understandably so at this point. And this forward group, while we can acknowledge that it is as deep as as it's been probably throughout the entirety of the drought. It's also not quite there yet. And that speaks to not only 
stuff they were talking about with deployment, it not only speaks to what we had talked about at the top of the episode when it comes to the lack of moves in the offseason and not bringing in somebody externally trying to make your team better. It obviously also speaks to the fact that you have confidently two guys in Rochester right now and Kulik and Rosean, who if you brought them up could potentially give you a spark or could give you more of a spark than a guy like Lucas Rusek. And that's not meant to be a dig at him or anything like that, but putting Lucas Rusek into this lineup is not going to solve your issues at forward. It's not going to solve your scoring problems. Bringing up a guy who is scoring at an unprecedented clip right now and bringing up another guy who's at a point per game pace while he's still a teenager, that, or 20, whatever Roseanne is, that is ultimately what might help give you a little bit of a spark here. And on top of that too, that is following through with this organization's philosophy of rewarding guys and icing the best 12 forwards that you can. And they're just not doing it, like deliberately not doing it. It is undeniable that putting Kulik in this lineup gives the Sabres a better chance than than Rusek being in this lineup right now. Or Opozo. You can even go further. Or Krebs. We got to talk about Krebs a little bit because I still had my issues with how Granado's handling things. Those guys make you better. And you're just leaving them down there in Rochester. Yeah. Yeah, they're, absolutely. Yeah. It's... I, I think we talked, was it last episode we talked about Kulik? We talked about it in the last like three episodes. Yeah, I meant like in terms of coming up to help the power play. I don't know if that would actually work or whatever. The power play structure is a disaster. But Kulik is, I, I was going to look up now where he's an AHL scoring. He's super high. And again, he's 19. It's like he, a lot of the guys that are like the best AHL scores are, some of them are quad A guys, but most of them are not 19 years old. So He's it. It's just it should be a good thing that we're talking about this much. It should be like, wow, this guy, even though he's drafted near the end of the first round, has been on like a rocket ship uh, in terms of how he's. I don't know how I should put this. His stock, I guess, mm-hmm. as a player and our thoughts of him as a prospect. You know, he's drafted. Like I said, it was. I think it was twenty eighth. Yep. Well, now he's. It looks like he's top ten in scoring. Yeah, he's thirteen points in twelve games. Yeah, in the AHL tenth in the AHL in scoring. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's huge. And like these guys ahead of him for the most part seem to be older than him. And it's just like, look, man, you went you went through some of the guys, but I'll just say it again. Krebs, Olafson, Jost, Oposo. All these guys are playing NHL games. Rusek, for what it's worth. That's a lot of guys you could that yep. conceivably could sit in the press box every night. Even Jost, I guess. Like Kulik should be getting a look at some point. You shouldn't you, you like you're like I said before, you're right there on the cusp of the playoffs. Like you're in this gigantic mushy middle in the east. You gotta try to stand out somehow. You might want to give them, I don't know, give Kulik a game or two. At least. Yeah. I mean, at least to look. At the very least to see how he looks at the NHL level. But even putting it that way, Taylor, I think that speaks to the problem with Granado with allowing guys to get into a rhythm. And it's both Granado and Adams, actually. It's not one or the other, it's both of them what you know like if if Kulik is coming up I want him to come up for like give him like five games or six games here don't think of it as like all right we're gonna see what he can do in a night or two like you got to give this guy an opportunity to like again 
get a better understanding of the pace of play, learn what he can do right now and what he can't do. And what for the things that he can't do, learning how to adjust his game to be able to exceed at those things. When it comes to getting in a rhythm and opportunity and putting guys in spots to succeed, I want to get your thoughts on Peyton Krebs here because you play him six minutes on Friday. You you don't even play him at all on Saturday. It feels like Granado doesn't know what he wants to do with him. He definitely doesn't want to give him, give him an extended look up the lineup. He's being apprehensive about playing him in like the checking line role now when God love him, but I probably want Krebs out there more than I want a Pozo out there. I, and I definitely want Krebs out there more than I want Olofsson out there too. Yeah. So this just lends into that conversation where it's kind of both on the coach and on the GM, the coach for how he's utilizing these guys and the GM for not making the moves to upgrade this roster and make it better. Like you have the opportunity to do it. My God, I I feel like our, I hope our listeners aren't getting annoyed about the fact that like, I can't even count the amount of times that you and I over the past year have said you have the ability to make a substantial addition to this team without making even a dent in the prospect pool. We can't just keep hoarding prospects forever. We can't. You have so many of them. And beyond that, we're talking about trading prospects. The core of your team is in place. Tage, Tuck, Cousins. And in their prime. What's that? And And they're in their prime. In their prime. Darlene, Power. All of these guys are locked up and are going to be here. Okay, we don't know what Matt Savoy is going to end up being. We don't know what Noah Ostland or Rosean or Kulik for that matter. We don't know what any of these guys are going to end up being. And I'm certainly not advocating for moving Yuri Kulik because I think that he 100% has earned like no move status. Do not touch him. But if you mean to tell me that the, you know, it's going to cost giving up Matt Savoy. And you can even say Savoy, Rosean, and a first. And if that would land you a substantial piece, yeah. you have to be able to do that because that's how you're going to allow yourself to take the next step. And you can't wait for these guys to develop, if they will at all, when, like we said, you are in the middle of your key players' primes. Why not try and maximize as much of this window as you possibly can? Absolutely. And I think it's an interesting a uh, little thing about the podcast. So we've mentioned like this same argument, like you mentioned there, like, uh, I don't know, 40 times in the past two seasons. Yeah. But we- in the two seasons prior to that, well, there is an in-between season, but the first two seasons of the podcast, our common thing we talked about all the time was got to trade Ristolainen, got to figure that out. And then they did. And the Ristolainen trade kicked off a little, like a run of them getting a bunch of good prospects. All in, in short order. And now this is our argument. So the Ristolainen trade created our new running segment. So we've got to thank Risto, as always, for being such a uh, valuable member of the Straight Up Sabres community. Are you yeah, for bringing him? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I'd love to have Risto back. Oh, I'm sure. Is a bouncer for 716 or Southern Tier? What's that? You mean as a bouncer for Southern Tier? Correct, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, more than qualified. I would agree. Anyways, though, what was your point you're going to make? Well, it was really just more of what I already said about them being in their prime. You can't really just wait around like three years for Coolidge and Kulik and Savoy and everyone to be in their prime to make this all work. Like Jeff Skinner's 30, 31, maybe. Tage is in his mid 20s now. Tuck is too. Like this is the time you should be trying to win with those guys. And you can kind of have a nice extended era where, you know, theoretically you win with them and then. 
they move down the lineup at some point. Not Tage. Tage doesn't he he doesn't have an I shouldn't have said he was in his mid twenties. He's ageless, timeless, he will never die. But Skinner and Tuck are going to get older, so you, you're going to want to move other guys up the lineup, maybe past. I mean, you could have, the luxury is you could have a nice long era, but you get to at some point probably make a move because you're not just going to have all these guys in the NHL. And I know I'm not I'm not always the biggest prospects guy, but the thing is, a lot of guys fail. A lot of guys aren't as good. A lot of prospects are more valuable now than they ever will be as players in terms of trade value. That's the case for most of them. And there's some guys, there's always guys like Tage is an example, I guess, of someone that ended up being a lot more valuable than people would have thought. I mean, he was, I guess, an important part of the O'Reilly deal. So maybe he was valuable and then wasn't. But like, for example, Tyson Jost. Is that an example? Like one, if if his draft plus one season, if he got traded, he would have fetched a ton. The Sabres got him on waivers. And that's a good example. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's it's just it's just the case that most guys fail. So some guys will not be good. Some of these guys, I don't know who they are. Maybe it's Oslin, maybe it's Rosean. Who knows? Some of them won't be good. Some of them are going to be more like Peyton Krebs than oh. Casey Middlestat. Look at I mean Jesus. Look at how how Krebs was so highly touted when we got him. Yeah, it comes down to this premise of trading unproven assets for proven commodities. Like you know what you are getting. These other teams, it's the same thing with the Sabres where they were when they were trading, like you said, like Risto and trading Reinhardt and trading Eichel, where these other teams are in a position that they're in a rebuilding phase and they're just trying to accumulate assets, get high-end assets, whatever. For you, you are getting something that like you know what's coming back to you here. You know what is going to be injected into your lineup and where you're going to be able to play him. And it just, it kills me that, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that you can point to that Kevin Adams has done right. And that he deserves credit for. I think the Tage and Cousins contracts, good. The Darlene and Power contracts also will end up looking really good. I think you can look at the trades that I just mentioned before that the Ristolainen, Reinhardt and Eichel's trades. Full stop, all good moves, good decisions by this front office. 100%. That does not excuse, though, the fact that he has not shown us that he's ready to manage a team that is ready to be a contender. Like, making moves when you're in the rebuilding phase is not the same as taking swings when you're ready to contend. The contract negotiations were great. Very good. Sets you up for the long haul. We still don't know if he can make this big swing or maybe more accurately, what's preventing him from doing so? Because if it's, he's sitting on his tail, that's a red flag. But what might even be a bigger red flag is if he thinks like that, or if this is his actual philosophy, like that, you just, that you're not going to do that, that you're just going to sit on these guys and you're just going to wait and see, because like you said, for every, Who's a a guy who was taken like for every Dylan Cousins, there's a Tyson Jost. And actually, it's probably even for every Dylan Cousins, there's like three Tyson Josts. Yeah, for every Jack Hughes, there's a Capo Caco. Right, exactly. Like you just you don't know. So like are we are we trying to make the playoffs here? You know, this this goes they're back- in 14th, by the way. I just looked it up in, in terms of um 
points per game right now in the East. They're in 14th. Tied for 14th, but still. It go, it go good. back to what feels like the complete lack of urgency that is being displayed by this front office. It's it's shown in not going out and doing whatever you have to do to make a, an improvement to the net. Like, goaltending has not been one of the prime issues this season like how it was last year. It was the issue last year. Yeah, right. Even though nobody has really, like, I mean, obviously Levi had a great game. UPL's been on a good run it's still early enough in the season and given how the year started off that it's not like any of these guys are like staking their claim to be like the unquestioned number one and can be like a workhorse right off the bat. It was a mistake not going out and trying to improve there, but they're getting away with it. Now it's fine. Even that aside defense, I think there was more to be desired uh, left to be desired there. Clifton and Johnson were not the answers for what you needed. I mean, you did need to add some depth there. Don't get me wrong, but that's not going to move the needle that much for you at forward. Again, we, we said it all summer. Yes. They're in a good spot right now. Yes. They scored at a really impressive rate last year. Tage is a psycho. Cousins had a great year. Tuck Skinner. Great. Quinn and Paterka hoping that they're going to take the step. It's been happening with Paterka. Getting Quinn back in the lineup will be important too. It still wasn't enough though, because these other teams went out and made moves. They went out and tried to get better and tried to improve. Did the Sabres really improve that much from the roster at the end of last season to the start of this season? Maybe no, they're worse because they don't have Quinn. Exactly. And, and what did you do when he's going to be out for almost half the season? You didn't do anything. And on top of that, I mean, yeah, you, you gave Benson an opportunity, which is great, but you haven't even given a look to the guy that has proven among every prospect right now outside the NHL that is in the Sabres organization that's proven to be most deserving. You haven't even given him a look. So, so that's what I, going back to my point from before, like, what is this organization's philosophy right now in terms of managing assets, in terms of deploying, in terms of who earns playing time versus who doesn't? It, it just, it it feels like a mess. And, and I say all of that, obviously, wanting to keep things in perspective here because I know we're all feeling urgent and like that there needs to be the sense of urgency right now. I am very, very much feeling it, but I'm trying to remind myself that it is still in the early goings of this season, we're still in the first half of the year and a lot can happen in the second half here. So no, it's, uh, we've been saying this all season as well, that after, you know, 20 games or whatever, it's not like the, the season is completely figured out and that's that. But historically speaking, where teams are at the turn of the calendar, for the most part, like a very, very high percentage of the time, those are the teams that end up making it into the playoffs. And you knew you were going to be without one of your key pieces to this forward group that you were hoping to take a huge step. And what did you do to replace him? Nothing. And so that sets yourself up for being behind the rest of the pack. True. It's, it's, it's annoying that we have to have this conversation again. And as early as November, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. So let's hear a word from our sponsors. and We'll get, get back to more of this, uh, Fun, happy, good time stuff. Uh, so, folks, this episode is brought to you by DraftKings. 
Bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. And folks, it's Monday when you're listening to this, probably. If it's Tuesday, I don't know what to tell you. Day late and a dollar short. Monday, if you're a fan of Western Conference hockey, if you're a fan of the Pacific Division in general, man, this is the night for you. We got the Sharks and the Ducks. The Ducks are favored by only a goal and a half. Now that's interesting. The Sharks have been pretty bad. And the over-under is six and a half. Sharks have given up... 10 goals on two separate occasions this year. So that's something to keep an eye on the puck line for the, all these games actually is one and a half, but we got the Oilers favored over the Islanders. Maybe hoping for a dead cat bounce now that they fired Jay Woodcroft and they have a new coach. And then Colorado favored over the Kraken, who I believe beat them mm, last week, maybe this week. Uh, well, last week when you're listening to this and also beat them in the playoffs last year. So that's interesting over under on that also six and a half. Hmm. I don't know about that. But anyway, that's what we're looking at in terms of Monday night action if you're looking to bet. And if you're looking to bet, of course, you got to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. New customers get $150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on hockey. That's code THPN. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit www dot 1-800-GAMBLER.NET. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus age varied by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, responsible gaming resources. NHL and NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights reserved. Folks, it's getting dark out at 5 p.m. That can only mean one thing. Christmas is on its way. and So are all a lot of other holidays. And it might be too early to start decorating for the holidays. But it's never too early to start your holiday shopping. Why not take care of it now before the crowds and the pack calendars make shopping a total nightmare, especially when you can just get some of the best deals of the season well before Black Friday. You can shop Raycon products right now and save up to 50% off because the early Black Friday sale is going on now. You've heard me talk about Raycon products before. I love my everyday earbuds. And Raycon first made a name for themselves in the audio space with products like the aforementioned Everyday Earbuds, known for delivering high-quality and thoughtful features, like a 32-hour battery life, perfect in-ear fit for all-day wear and lasting comfort. In this past year, they expanded their entire business with the introduction of Raycon Home and Raycon PowerTech. So here's some examples. Their five-star reviewed Magic 180 cable allows you to charge iOS, micro-USB, and Type-C devices eight times faster with 100-watt power delivery. Their faucet filter... Ultra filters the water in your tap against chlorine and heavy metals. It's a must-have for ensuring that the water you use to wash your face and brush your teeth is actually clean. Raycon is known for delivering high-quality and thoughtful features at half the price of other premium tech brands. It's no wonder their products have racked up tens of thousands of five-star reviews. To get everything in the sorry, to get everyone in the holiday shopping spirit a bit early, Raycon is currently offering 20% off everything on their site with select products up to 50% off. So beat the crowds and save now. Trust me, you do not want to miss out on Raycon's early Black Friday sale. Hurry now to buyraycon.com slash THPN to get 20 to 50% off site-wide. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 50% off Raycon's products. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. Okay. Oh. Uh, I uh, wanted to mention 
one other thing that has also been kind of bothering me about their lack of action. It's that the goaltending has been actually kind of good this year. Yep. It, it, it hasn't been terrible. Even Lucan in last night had over a 900 save percentage. The goaltending has been fine. I mean, if, if the goaltending, you have last year's goaltending and even like 90% of last year's scoring, sorry, this year's goaltending and 90% of last year's scoring, you're such an easy playoff team. And it's really frustrating that they're not, that they're just not scoring, that so many guys look so unimpressive. It's, uh, it's infuriating. To say the least, my friend, I know I'm trying to find it right now. I'm pretty sure Jay Fresh had them. The Sabres currently sit 12th in team goaltending goal saved above expected. That wow. as of Sunday, November 12th, you actually are getting average goaltending. You're getting exactly what we said that we were going to need this year, but they're just tripping over their own feet and getting in their own way for starters. Like calling up Kulik is, is move number one. And I hope that we see that happen this week after how they looked on Saturday. But I, I don't know, Taylor. I mean, where do we go from here, I guess, is really the question. Is it is it Kulik first, or is it we need to bring somebody external in? We need to make a trade. Like, wh- Where do you think that the team's headspace needs to be right now? I think to start Kulik, because that's the easy part. In terms of trades, it is tough. And we've I've said a lot, there's no reason to wait till the deadline to make a trade. The problem is other teams are waiting till the deadline to decide if they want to sell someone or do this. But, you know, trades are every year. There is a trade or two in the first half of the season, usually a decently big one. So you could be the team that does that. But, yeah, Kulik is the easy thing. Like, reward him for a strong start. Give him a look in the NHL. Let him practice with the team. Like, I think that's the, the obvious one. You do that first. Agreed. Agreed. I think just see if it gives you some kind of injection of life here. See what he can do. I mean, obviously, again, you're asking to put a pretty fair amount of responsibility on a 19-year-old's shoulders, but he will undeniably make you better. Yeah. Why not give this a shot in a year where you have to make the playoffs? You have Absolutely. to. You, just, you, you can't keep doing this. You can't keep being proud of our prospects and this and that when you're not even going to give them the chance to play. Like <laughs> it's I, yeah, it's infuriating. Why, why are you drafting all these guys in the first round? Why are you holding all your picks? If you're not going to give this guy a chance when he's playing as well as he is. Right. Exactly. Like you're, you're not going to trade them when they have value this early in their careers. And when they prove to you that they're ready and they maybe do have like the value that is associated with where they were taken in their pedigree, whatever, you're not even giving them the opportunity to go on the ice and prove it. It's just, we're, we're going in circles here. It's just, it's not even like it's something where we can just like put our hands up and be like, well, I don't even know what we can really do here. This is just like a tough situation. They're getting unlucky, whatever. Like there are specific easy fixes that the front office and the coach can be making right now to maximize the roster. And they're just not doing it. I mean, yeah. let's talk about Granado here a little bit more, Taylor. You know, we talked at the, at the top about lineup optimization, the line combinations, deployment, all of that. This is a bit of a broad question, so take it wherever you like. But, like, where are you at with Granado right now? Well, it's hard for me to be too mad at him when I'm watching, like, Friday night, their best player on the ice, in my opinion, was, well, maybe aside from Levi, Middlestat. And Middlestat, 
I don't think in a lot of situations would have ended up being the guy that he ended up that he is now. And I think that's partly because of the patience of Granado and how good he is at working with guys like that. But yeah, there's some things I'm not thrilled about. Like the 11, seven thing was, it's weird enough. I don't get when teams do that unless it's out of like absolute necessity. This was not, not really. And so that was already strange that the yo-yo of Olsen in and out of the lineup is strange to me. I mean, that's partially an animus thing. What the hell is that guy still doing here? But yeah, it's it's almost like you want a balance because we've talked about how you want to try things out in the first half of the season line-wise and see what works. But you can't just, I guess, do what they're doing, which is just just kind of almost nonsensically, like pulling guys in and out of the lineup, like Jost is in, Jost is out. Jost and Olsen are on a line without another winger because they're at 11-7. Uh, Byro, that was solid when he was here. He's hurt now. Is he still hurt, by the way? <laughs> I should... I think Probably so. Look into that. Yeah. Uh, haven't heard from Benson in a while. That's unfortunate because I was really enjoying him, but I guess he's still injured. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's been strange. And then the house of Oya up to play him less than four minutes. I don't know. A lot of, a lot of strange moves from, from Don this year, but you know, I, I still, I, I don't feel like he's in on a hot seat really, but I guess if he missed the playoffs, the third year in a row, you'd have to be. You'd think, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, obviously we've, we've made strides. They have dug themselves out of the endless pit that they just kept falling into further and further. And they're in a good spot right now. They're in a position to succeed. They're in a position where they absolutely can make the playoffs. It's not something that's like out of the realm of possibility. It is quite literally there for the taking, but yeah, I mean, if, if this season is just like another one of this, just mid play, and you're just going to kind of be this middle of the pack team who really never like asserts themselves into the race, but you're kind of lingering around, but you're really not like that serious of a contender. Like, what are we doing here? They have the capability to be even better. It's like, they just don't want to be. Yeah. It starts with you get Kulik up here, figure out a plan to try and help Krebs succeed. I think that's the thing that's very frustrating about this is that last year, and after he took over for Kruger, it felt like what Don Granado did so well was formulating a game plan to match his players' strengths. The opposite of Kruger, where Kruger was like, I have a system and you guys are going to play to how I want you to play. I don't care what your style is. I don't care what your strengths are, your weaknesses. <laughs> play this style. Granado was the exact opposite. <sighs> I has been the exact opposite. I know. I'm sorry for mentioning Ralph. <laughs> this... That I should have gave it. <sighs> but that was one of the hallmarks of why I feel like people were so endeared with Granado was because he was able to say, okay, Jeff Skinner, you are a goal scorer. We are going to put you in a position to succeed at the thing you are good at on a nightly basis. That does not feel like this season that has extended to the entirety of the lineup. The way that he's handled Krebs is not putting that particular player skill set in the best possible position to succeed. And that I think even applies to, to the lineup decisions with who's sitting, who's getting how many minutes, like you're doing this team a disservice by trotting a Pozo out there to get minutes or playing Olafson in general. When, it's happening while other guys are being either 
put in the press box or they are getting put with these weird line combinations. You know, it just, it feels like there's just a lot of self-inflicted wounds here, Taylor. It it feels like all of these issues right now are self-inflicted and it's like a couple tweaks here and a couple tweaks there. And we're not having these conversations. And then you actually are icing the best team that you possibly can. And then that helps you determine, okay, do we actually need to go out and make ourselves better somehow? That's, I think, the the, the kind of, at the end of all of this, is the fact that you can't have a full understanding of how you need to improve if you're not icing the best possible lineup. Kulik and Rochester is not icing the best possible lineup. Ryan Johnson getting 11 minutes and playing less than Eric Johnson and Connor Clifton is not icing the best possible lineup. So going back to the point, I guess to bring it full circle, this doesn't just fall on Granado and it doesn't just fall on Adams. It falls on both of them. Yeah, absolutely. I think the good news is you're still really in it. Like the East is so mid. Uh, There's so many teams in this big mushy middle that if you – you know, had an upset win Tuesday over Boston, beat Winnipeg, could be like, wow, you're in you're in great shape now. Uh, but they're not in a great position, but they're in a fine position. It's not a disaster. Which is a good spot to be in. Like it is there for the taking, like we've been saying. You just need to plug in a couple of holes here and just make the right decisions with who you're who's playing with who and how much ice time guys are getting. That's it. Like you're not that far off. We're talking about a big move here, obviously, but like it's like one or two guys that they really need to really elevate them and be like, okay, this team is an actual contender right now. Yeah. hundred percent true. Like it's, it, it is pretty simple. And I think it's almost as simple as, you know, you have a couple guys that are like you mentioned, just a couple guys there, but also maybe someone makes the power play better. Maybe the power play, you know, they change gears there or, or I don't know, switch up something with the power play. It's, it's such a nightmare. Like they change their philosophy and while well, the power play converts at, I don't know, a normal rate, a league average rate shit. They'd be like nine, five and one right now. We wouldn't be complaining. We wouldn't be like, ah, oh, damn, we got to do this whole hour long episode about what's wrong. We'd be like, ah, oh, they're nine, five and one. There's yeah. something's wrong. Some things are going right, but it's just been very frustrating because of that, that they refuse to be too far over 500. Well, there's been one goddamn day this whole season over 500. Yeah. That's annoying. Let me <laughs> ask a, a, a bigger question here, Taylor. Like you said there, we're spending an hour talking about these little issues here that could easily be fixed. Will any of it matter next year after the Sabres trade for Connor McDavid? Uh, no, yeah, that'll that'll be great. Yeah, I, I uh, saw the offer that was put out there. Uh, There's been, I saw a few. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, the thing is with McDavid is I don't know if he's going to demand a trade, but he's also a free agent in 26. Mm-hmm. So he can also just, you know, go to free agency and be the most sought after free agent in NFL or NFL NHL history. Yeah, I cannot agree more. I think it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, who knows, though? Maybe he does try to get out for the last – because what does he have left? Two years? Two and a half, yeah. Two and a half years. I mean, I think that if he does want to leave and he does actually request a trade, there's obviously a lot of incentivizing there. Not only are you going to get two years out of prime Connor McDavid, but you also will get a head start on negotiating his new contract with him. So something to be said there, but Edmonton – 
still not going well. And we have a coach firing, Taylor. We have a coach yeah. and a coach hiring, if you will, as the Oilers ended up firing Jay Woodcroft. And I would say a bit of a, I, I think it's a little surprising. Like, obviously, they're off to a bad start. Inexcusable with guys the level of McDavid and Dreisel on your team. Is that a move you would have made, though, Taylor? Uh, I don't know. This early, I should say? Yeah, I mean, their season's, like, almost in the toilet already. But it's like, is it, is it really Woodcroft's fault that their goaltending is so bad? Yeah, that's fair. Is it his fault that McDavid's playing hurt? Like, I don't know. I think I don't I, I don't know really know if it's his fault. I think in these situations you fire the coach anyway. It's just what happens when you start two ten and one or whatever he is. But I don't I don't know. And they, they actually they won, so they're like three ten and one now. So they're fine. They're fine. They're in Chris Knobloch takes over as head coach there. He has a some history with McDavid. But I'm with you. It felt like this was loved him on the Yankees. Oh yeah, hell of a hell of a player on the Yanks back in the day. Really, uh... don't ask him to throw to first though. Mm. Is there any relation there? Do we know? Ooh, I don't know. Should I look it up? I would be curious if there was. Yeah, let's see here. Chris, Chris Knobloch, right? Like, I mean, it's it's not a name I've ever heard anyone else in the world <laughs> have besides Chuck Knobloch. Let's see, he's Canadian, so I don't know. I'd say probably not then, right? Let's see what Wikipedia says. Oh, the good news is it's taking forever. That's good. Awesome. Uh, let's see. Oh, they have like basically nothing about his actual life. It's just all coaching stuff. No, he's from Saskatchewan. I got to say no way then. Okay. Right? Well, and for background too, Knobloch was McDavid's coach with Erie when he was uh, in the OHL, obviously leading up to his draft year there. But yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean... I'm seeing now Woodcroft had a 643 points percentage with the Oilers. And that's why it just feels like it's kind of early here. I, I don't think that coaching was the issue. I think that the issue is upstairs. I think it's Ken Holland. Yeah, I, I honestly, I mean, they've made some mistakes, but I don't know if they're really in that bad of a spot. It's it's just that their goaltending has been so bad. Like it's been so bad. Jack Campbell, especially, but like, you know, Stuart Skinner has not been good. I know like the Jack Campbell deal was a terrible deal, uh, but got shelled in the AHL last or a couple nights ago too. Did he really? Yeah, I think he let in like four shots or something like that. Jesus, that's wild. Um, I I don't know what to say about uh, really the Oilers thing. Like I look, I said you can't just not fire a guy when you start this poorly. Like they're almost. If they weren't in such a terrible division, they I would be saying that there's no chance to make the playoffs. As it stands, it's still going to be an uphill climb. But yeah, Jesus, what what a what a fall from grace from last season, say the least. But I think all that to say too, I would not be surprised if they end up turning it around. In fact, I think that they will end up turning it around. They're McDavid and Drysdale are too good for the Oilers to not be a playoff team in the West, especially. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, those wild card spots in the West. Who knows how teams are going to have like 88 points and get those, honestly. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you want to see what Chuck Knobloch looks like today? Sure. Let's see. <laughs> no way. That's not Chuck Knobloch. That's an extra from the Sopranos. <laughs> oh, man. That was very uh, helpful for all the listeners at home. Uh, Google it yourself. Anyway, 
Yeah, it's it's been a strange year in the NHL in that there's no there hasn't really been bad teams mm-hmm. except the team that a lot of people picked to win the Stanley Cup in Edmonton and San Jose, the worst team ever. Yeah. So, you know, you know, if you're gonna be bad, I guess, you know, make it happen. Don't be like Nashville and be like, Oh, we're gonna have seventy eight points and pick ninth or whatever. Yeah, just go all in for it. Yeah. Be Mike Greer. Be the Mike Greer you want to see in the world. Oh, well said. Whose team is going to win more games this year? Chris Greer or Mike Greer? He knows he can't keep being this bad. I'm going to say it's Mike Greer too, but it's going to be it's going to be close. <laughs> A lot closer than it conceivably should be. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe two will get hurt and it won't matter. <laughs> <sighs> Anything else you got, bud? Actually, I do have something. Oh, what do you got? R.I.P. to Roman Czechmonic. Dude, I was literally going to say that at the end of the episode, too. R.I.P. to a real one. Yeah, Frank Cervelli had a good tweet about it. Uh, Brendan, you probably remember that we played uh, Czechmonic in the playoffs. Uh, what was that, 2000, 2001? Yes. Wait. Flyers. Also, quick side note, do we know what happened? I don't know what happened. I just saw the uh, Cervelli quote. So, Because the he quoted, uh, ooh, I don't know what language this is in. Danique Sport, it is oh Czech Republic. It's yeah. in Czech, so I I can't tell. But he says he's fifty two. He was fifty two. He was drafted at age twenty nine. Uh, in two thousand two thousand one season, he was the Vesna runner up to Hashik. He was an all star and he was fourth in heart voting, and he had twenty five shutouts in four seasons. So, it was Frank Cervelli says also he liked to stop pucks with his head so not sure uh what happened there but what a uh, interesting memorable career and a uh an all-time nhl name what year did you say he was the vesna runner-up oh one i think oh one yeah that made yeah 35 15 and 6 record with uh 921 save percentage mm. yeah no, being being a runner-up to hashik is like winning basically yeah seriously though yeah no wow flyers and la kings goat Roman Czech, yeah. few of his hockey cards from back in the day, I think with both teams. I think he only played one year with the Kings, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, just given when he was... I didn't realize he was drafted so late. Yeah, 29. That's insane. Oh. He was your age. Ooh. <laughs> he was a, Bill Taylor. a feeble old man. I know. What a miracle. <laughs> oh, man. Well, RIP to Roman Czech, Monik. Yeah, that is uh, that was a surprising and, and sad one from today. Do you have any other thoughts you'd like to share? sports are dead to me agreed you ready for some bills broncos to light the world on fire tomorrow okay if they lose does ken dorsey get fired i don't know i don't know it's just i feel like i'm on the rack at the tower of london right now it's just like they got some futuristic punishment like gonna believe in tennessee ha you idiot why'd you believe in tennessee they lost 36 7 you're going to get excited about another St. Bonaventure season. Ha! Game two, lost to Canisius at home. Oof. Just- hey, but for Tennessee, did you see that crazy block that Cedric Tillman had on uh, Kyle Van Noy? <laughs> yeah. <It> was sick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. There's something good happening. Hey, oh. Josh Dobbs is killing it. There you go. Josh That's- Dobbs is, I'm not even joking, he's the best Tennessee quarterback since um, Peyton Manning in terms of NFL output. That's Eric Angel Racer. Well, let me tell you this, bud. Dobbs is 21 of 29, 246 yards, a touchdown, seven carries for 44 yards, and another touchdown. What is the – what's the score? 27-11. Holy shit. I know. 
for right? him. Yeah, he's a yeah. good, great story. Absolutely, he's a rocket scientist, kind of. Yeah. Well, all right. Wow. Giving Ryan Fitzpatrick a run for his money here with the the Harvard comparisons. There, we got a rocket scientist as a QB over there in Minnesota right now. Come on. Yeah, incredible stuff. I just wanted to shout out. You mentioned who did you say Eric Ainge as the yeah best Tennessee guy here? Right? I'm thinking NFL wise. They've played so little. Everyone's played so little that's in there. So Tyler Bray, he played a little bit, not really. Matt Sims played a little bit for the Jets. He wasn't even good at Tennessee. Uh, and speaking of that, you know who had the most passes attempted? I think, I don't know if T. Martin had that many in the NFL. So I think it would be between Peyton Manning and Josh Dobbs. Wow. You know who had the most in the middle? Uh, who? NFL passing attempts. Nathan Peterman. Oh my God. Not Wait. a Tennessee grad, so I don't know if that counts. I'm about to really name a guy here. Did Brody Coyle go to Tennessee? He went to Bama. Bama, okay. Yeah, he was uh that is a guy. Good lord. Yeah, yeah. I remember the Chiefs were on thinking like Tyler Bray, Chiefs. He was yeah. The- yeah. That makes sense. They were on hard knocks. Yeah, I'm looking now. T. Martin only had 36 pass attempts. So, yeah, definitely. Definitely Peterman, the most between Peyton Manning and Dobbs. But they, they were on hard knocks. And I think Brody Croyle was, like, in a quarterback battle for the Chiefs against Damon Huard. Huard? However you say that. Remember that guy? So, like, that was the quarterback battle, like, post-Trent Green. And it was like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is bleak. This is This is the bleakest thing on HBO since, like, season five of The Wire. We need to, I think, just have like a dedicated a part of an episode, a segment where we just name some guys quarterbacks edition. Mm. Off quarterbacks. Off quarterbacks. Okay. Let's I, do my, my segment this week, or my choice this week is Damon Huard. Damon Huard. <laughs> I will never learn how to pronounce that name. Shout out to Joey Harrington. Uh, third overall pick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right in front of the Bills pick, actually. Bills picked fourth that year. Who and that would have been Mike Williams, wow. lineman Mike Williams. Yes, yes, yes. Who stunk? Yeah. Well, maybe not bullet dodge then. Yikes! That was a terrible top of the draft. Yeah, it was. It was. Oh, except for Peppers. Peppers is up there. His number one, David Carr, Derek Carr, David Carr. Yeah. Then Peppers, who yep. was great, like borderline Hall of Famer, and then yeah, Joey Harrington and Mike Williams. Yeesh. Bad draft. Right. Oh boy. All right, Taylor. Do you have any other thoughts you'd like to share before we sign off for the day? Uh no. Go. I usually say a different sports team, like go whoever. I'm saying go to the movies because uh sports are dead. Oh, you're gonna go see Captain Marvel, your fave? Yeah. Captain yeah, uh, the Marvels, yeah. Did you see it? No, not I just got home, so I Oh, that's right, yeah. We'll be seeing it in the next few days though. Yeah, just gonna ignore it. Yeah. seems like it's a lot of people are doing that, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm behind on movies, so I got to do some catching up. I've been stupidly watching sports and then getting raging mad. So anyway, well, yeah. everyone have a good week. Let's have a good week this week. It's almost Thanksgiving. Let's do it. Almost there, everybody. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. 
Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode. Make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows and make sure you're following the Charging Buffalo and the Hockey Podcast Network on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, where you can also find us, Straight Up Savers. And before you close out of this app, whatever you're using to listen to this episode of Straight Up Savers, make sure you give us a nice little follow or subscribe as we'd very much appreciate it. And hey, maybe leave us a little rating or review in the process. Last but not least, we have our wonderful sponsors. Oh, we love them, folks. That would be Draft. King Sportsbook. Use that promo code THPN to take advantage of a great deal at checkout. And on top of that, we have Raycon audio, whatever your device needs are as the holiday season is approaching, make sure you are getting it through Raycon, raycon.com slash THPN. Again, we'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Savers. Sitting on the bedroom floor.